0: Good evening. Our scripture this evening is from Matthew 27, verses 45 through 50. It says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Lema, Sabachthani. That is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. This evening we've already sung most of our passage. We've already reflected upon almost everything there is to be found in the words of the passage. As we go here, I have found a tremendous amount of help in really the last decade from a book by A.W. Pink entitled The Seven Sayings of the Savior on the Cross. We are in our fourth year of walking through that series of the Seven Sayings of Christ on the Cross. This evening, A.W. Pink was of great help to me again. I think that his chapter on uh, this saying of Jesus, these words of the Christ on the Cross, where Uh, He speaks of the abandonment of the judgment that he receives, is one of the most important reflections of my own life. Um, And I hope that we find this to be particularly profitable for the congregation this evening. Matthew 27, verse 6, Jesus' words that we're giving attention to this evening And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Heavenly Father, we ask for your help. We remember Father, Son, Holy Spirit as we As we gather, because you've called us a people and you've called us to gather, you've called us to to be a people together, to remember your words and give attention to the words of the Son. You know what you spoke. You know all of the context. You know all of the prophets. You know all of the pain. I pray, Lord, that your Spirit this evening would give us insight. Help us to see and reflect upon your word with you that we would understand, that we would appreciate, that we would see and hear and know, therefore, how to walk, how to worship, and how to share and proclaim the glory of your grace in these words. Thank you, Lord. We trust you to work in the midst of your people this evening. Amen. There are two things that I want to draw your hearts to, your minds to, your attention to this evening. And so I hope you will give attention to these things. The first thing that I would draw our attention to is the awful wage of sin. That in these words of Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have the awful wage of sin. Many are familiar with Romans 6, 23. Many of you know this. For the wages of sin is death But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, and we're so excited to hear that second part that we don't often reflect deeply on the first part. Today, we have Jesus' words of reflection on that first part. This wage is severe. The letter of Romans brings that home to us, but we often feel like the the wages of sin is more of a hypothetical distant threat, right? Right? It's a hypothetical thing. One of these days, sinners will receive the just reward, their wage for sin. It's like a paycheck that's coming, but it's still in the mail. It's a hypothetical thing, a future wage. In today's passage in Matthew, we see the wages of sin up close. Not a distant threat, but the wages of sin in all of their full present reality. 1 Peter chapter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you are, have been healed. We see the wages of sin in the flesh and the blood of Jesus on the cross. Jesus' words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Are his expression upon receiving the wage. Do you see? The the, the check isn't in the mail. It arrived. The wage arrived on the cross. And Jesus' words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken? Forsaken? never in history have those who have cried out, my God, my God, have they ever been forsaken. Never in history. Why now, of all times, of all people, would this man be forsaken on this cross? Psalm 37 verse 25. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. The psalmist would be shocked. He's lived a lot of life. And there's one thing he's never seen. He's never seen the righteous forsaken. Not in Egypt, no. No, when they cried out, my God, my God, they knew rescue, not in the wilderness. And they bickered, my God, my God. And manna and quail came. Not in the face of their enemies, in spite of all the sin that had brought their enemies upon them, they would cry out, and the Lord would hear, and the Lord would answer. Or even when they were carried off into Babylon in judgment, they cried out, and they were restored. Even those otherwise deserving judgment, all who cry out for rescue, all who cry out to the Lord, know the consolation of the Lord. He has been their refuge and their strength in the day of trouble. This is the way of the Lord. According to his promise, according to his disposition of mercy and grace, the Lord hears the people who cry out to him. But here we have a man crying out to God, and he's alone. And that man is forsaken. There's no response from heaven. The only response for Jesus is more suffering and then death. Now what makes this all the more astonishing to us is that in all of human history, all who have cried out to help at every other time, they themselves were sinners. And so the shocking thing is that the Lord would hear. No one has been deserving of rescue, and yet the Lord stoops down, he condescends, and he listens. To not one has God ever been obligated to condescend, to hear their cry, and show his mercy. But here, on the cross, crying out to his God and Father in heaven, we have the righteous one. Finally, And the righteous one, his cry, the cry of the only righteous one is met with more silence. More than that, it's met with God turning his back and hiding his face from the sun. How can that be? How does this work? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, A.W. Pink, for he who was the holy one whose own abhorrence of sin was infinite, who was the purity incarnate, he was made sin for us. The righteous man suffers the wage of sin because he has taken upon himself the sin of all those whom he will redeem. All those who place their faith in him, all those who become righteous through him, he becomes sin for us. And Jesus' obedience has been perfect. I, I mean, astounding. He's not just a law keeper. His perfection is infinite. The most astounding obedience is that not only did he commit no sin, not only is there no indecency in thought or action in Jesus the Messiah, he always walked with a desire and an activity to follow after the way of the righteous one. And he hated every wicked way. None other than he, the one who hates sin. He's the one who takes on the identity of the sinner. So thorough is the obedience of Jesus the Christ to the Father's plan of redemption that he who knows sin is counted as a sinner. He who is on the cross cries out, for help, and is forsaken, and is counted as one who is accursed. And all of a sudden, one of those favorite passages makes sense. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Yeah, righteous. Obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. A.W. Pink continues his quote from earlier. Therefore, he did not bow before the storm of wrath in which was displayed the divine displeasure against the countless sins of a great multitude whom no man can number. He didn't stop, his obedience drove right through being counted a sinner. He didn't turn aside from the curse of sin and its wage and its death, but went headlong into that forsaken pit. In Christ's forsaken cry on the cross, we see the deep despair of sin's just judgment. Do you see it? Do you see in Christ's cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we say, that is the just judgment upon sinners like me. It falls on him. There's a lie that's worked its way throughout all of human history. Every single moment of human history, from the fall forward, it's the lie that even if there is a God, even if I consent to you, that there is a God. Even if God does see our sin, and he's not just out there somewhere, even if God has established a right and a wrong way to live, even if he doesn't just leave us to follow our hearts, that he actually does have a morality, he will never suffer any, the, the sinner will never suffer any judgment from that God. Even if he exists, even if he sees, even if he has a right and wrong, he would never judge he would never judge. Psalm 36 begins this way, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There's no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Do you hear that? Satan himself tempted Eve in the garden with that lie. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. He may find out about what happens. He may have an issue with it. He may have said this thing and that thing. But he won't judge like he said he would. Jesus' cry on the cross is the final rebuke of Satan's lie that you will not surely die. For, for thousands of years, humanity's wondered. And flattered himself with the idea that we might get away with it. We might get away with the fall and all the sin that's subsequent to it. But Christ on the cross says, no. No. The wages of sin are a God-forsaken death. The Lord sees our sin. He saw our sin placed on the back of Jesus on the cross, so that he turns his back in judgment, leaving Jesus to suffer the full weight of the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus on the cross in his cry of abandonment is the first time in all of history that we have seen the wage met out in its full measure upon the shoulders of one man. And I would just, I would call you to to labor at sitting silent before that. With all the energy that you have this evening, sit, be silent before my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And his suffering on that day, if his suffering on that day is not for you, the awful anguish, that we see fall on Jesus that causes him to cry out in that way is still reserved for you. Sit for a moment. Let that that fill up, let that truth fill up the reality of the moment that we're remembering this evening. In Jesus' forsaken cry on the cross, we see the awful wages of sin. And in that moment, as every scripture that reflects on that moment does, we also have to reflect on the fact that we not only see the awful wages of sin, we also see the glorious ground of grace. If the cry of Christ is a glimpse at the awful wage of sin, it's also a glorious glimpse at the substance, the reality of our salvation, the ground of grace. There are few places in Scripture that give us a, a glimpse at our salvation. We can go to a number of places. For myself, my practice is I like to go in my Bible and I put a cross in the margin so I can find those quickly when I need it. I need to remember the ground of grace. and I look at that cross. or I, Sometimes I put three dots for the three nails. Because there are places in Scripture that gives us a glimpse of our salvation. There are different angles to look at that one salvation. But today... The passage that records Jesus' words of anguish and abandonment are ground zero. There's no angle. It's the moment in which we see the glory of our salvation. In this moment and in this cry, we see mercy, we see grace, we see love through the substitutionary sacrifice of the Christ in the place of sinners like me. This is the moment. This is the ground of all grace. Not only was his body broken, not only was his blood shed, his very person was forsaken. And he did so for you. He did so for me. He did so in in place of sinners. I remember as a kid, Thinking about the death of Jesus, and I asked a friend—you've heard me talk about him before. We called him Jesus Jim, and I asked Jesus Jim, "Hey, so Jesus died on a cross. Lots of people die. Uh, maybe I, I, I'd reflected upon the broken body and the shed blood quite a lot, but but I hadn't thought about the reality of the rejection, the reality of the anguish to suffer what was not his to suffer." And Jesus told me lots of people die. Lots of people die horrid ways, ways that are as bad as dying on a cross. But there's nobody righteous. There's nobody righteous and that does it in the place of the unrighteous. That is what this passage calls us. These words of Jesus on the cross calls us to reflect on. In human history, there's been much suffering. Sin has brought pain brokenness, death to many places and many lives, but there is a final death in which the gracious countenance of glory turns his face away. No one on this earth has ever experienced that death until The death on the cross all await final judgment. Then there will be a separation between those who have trusted in the work of Christ in their place on the cross that day and those who still shake their faithless fist at God and say, On my own, I can live. The wage will never come for me. And they flatter themselves. But there is a final death, a turning away that awaits the faithless before the redeemed. Those who turn to Christ in faith and repentance will know will never, never know what it is to be forsaken by God. We'll never know the final death. You guys know that song, right? Many of you sung it will we'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon the cross. We can see, we can look, we can listen, we can hear, we can reflect, we can sing, we can pray, we can ask the Spirit to give us insight, to to believe, but we'll never know. We'll never know. We'll just worship as a people of grace. For the redeemed will never know the forsaking face of God to turn away. This is the ground of the gospel. Friends, If we're ever called to speak in heaven, and we won't, the final word's already been spoken. But if we're ever called forward to speak on our behalf, our final plea, our only argument is Christ was forsaken so I can be reconciled. You've already turned away from my sin. And I've been justified by his grace on that day. And that word's already been spoken. We don't have to say it, but friends, you have to believe it. That has to be your only hope. You and I will cry, my God, my God. And there will be never, never an end to it. My God, my God. And his face will shine upon us. And we'll cry out, my God, my God. And he'll lift up the light of his countenance upon us. And he'll give us grace. And he'll give us peace forever. All because the son was forsaken because this is the grace moment ground zero of glorious grace i want you to see just one more detail of this moment and friends there's so many details there's so much that happens in an instant just a few seconds for jesus to say these words i want you to see one more detail the father forsakes the son And what we see is the the faith of Jesus. The Father forsakes the Son. The Son suffers. And the Son dies on the cross. The Son isn't surprised. He's not taken aback. This has been the plan of redemption in the mind of God since before the ages began. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all intent on redemption even before there was a creation. I don't get that. I've never been God. I've never known what it's like to see it all laid out and say, that's that's us. That's what we're going to do. But in this moment, on the cross, the man Jesus Christ suffered, actually suffered real abandonment and a real death. But what does the beautiful Savior do? What does he do in his greatest suffering? He cries out to God. That's what he does. Faith. You see, faith is the cry of Christ suffering on the cross for sinners. Even in the moment when sin's pressing weight, pressing down, death's impending darkness on the sun, the sun cries out, God! Job was tested with many trials. He lost his house. He lost his fields. He even lost his children. But he never lost fellowship with God. Jesus was taken to a place of testing, not even Job was taken. And still, he who carries the weight of the sins of the world is righteous in faith to God. He quotes Psalm 22. Did you know that? I wonder what the conflict was, with Jesus, singing the Psalms in the synagogue, all those years of his youth in the synagogues of Galilee singing the Psalms when the rabbi would start to hum the tune that he knew went with Psalm 22. And he would sing, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew. He's always known. Why are you so far from me, he sang, from saving me, from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry, By day, but do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. But the sun sings the song anyway. He who would fulfill the anguish of Psalm 22, like no one who has ever cried out those words or sung those words ever has, he who fulfills Psalm 22 sings the whole song. Verse 3. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Jesus is forsaken because God is holy. And so he continues to cry out, My God, my God. He knows why, and the answer is just a verse later, because he's holy. and He bears the sins of all who would be redeemed. He does so all while crying out to God, yielding up his spirit. Friends, there's none like Jesus. There... There is one in all of heaven who is worthy. His sacrificial work on the cross is vindicated by the resurrection. He never broke faith, not for a moment, not for an instant, not even in a place of of weakness or desire. He stuck to the plan of a righteous sacrifice until he gave up his spirit. And he rose because death cannot Hold the righteous one, but burst forth from the grave on the basis of his righteous authority over sin and death. He's always had authority over sin and death, and he proved it even in the cry at the last moment. Not even death can crush the faith of the Son. Today, I call you to crown zero. I want you to see the awful reality of sin's wage, and I want you to see the glorious ground of grace they're one and the same it's the same moment and the call for everyone here trust in the work of the righteous one on your behalf there is only one way trust in the work of the righteous one on your behalf and then the beautiful fruit of salvation and the first fruit of salvation is rejoicing Rejoice in the light of the countenance of the Lord's face. We remember the Lord bless you and keep you over and over again. We won't today. We'll await that until Sunday morning. But in that, we say the, the light of his countenance shine upon you. And it was pointed out to me that that light is joy, it's the light of a smile, it's the, the light of pleasure. May the light of his countenance be upon you, because on this day, the Son suffered what we never will. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would work this in us. And I pray that our reflection would have only begun, that even this moment would be a launching point for 48 hours of reflection. That we would consider what it is to gather in the name of the one. In just a few days from now, in the name of the one who has suffered in our place. Singing songs of celebration. Wearing wonderful clothing and bright colors and joyous songs. Fill up that joy with a reflection on ground zero. And Lord, for the one here who does not trust in you, who does not know you, who does not believe, I pray that you would work in this moment. They would abandon all every single other hope and cling to you, cry out to you, I'm a sinner and you've died in my place. I pray that you would do that work, Spirit, even in these next few moments together as we celebrate in communion, as we turn to you in worship and song. Do this work in the midst of your people, called by your name. Amen.